going to continue our study today called Unleashing the Power of Family. God meant for family to unleash His power in our lives for healing, for great good, for blessing of every kind. And uh, things go off the rails a little bit because of because none of us are perfect and because sin's been unleashed on this world and because of our own sin. But we have a redeeming God, a God who wants to restore and recreate and rebuild. And so his word is filled with a lot of instruction and direction about how when things are not as he intended or not even the way that we would like to see them in terms of our family relationships, they can be made more right more whole, more as he intended. So here we go. And today we're going to be, as we've, we've been dealing with a bunch of different themes, but today we're going to be talking about toxic relations and uh, how to handle challenging family relationships. And we all have them. You know, let's just uh, be honest and admit that, that in the circle of your family, your extended family, there is some relationship that's not all that great. The, we're going to talk a little bit today about the conditions, uh, when things are like that, what they look like, so that we can kind of put ourselves into the picture. We be, I, I, there's no value to us just sitting here reading these words as though they apply to someone else. I think that the value comes when we see ourselves in the frame, and so we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the causes. What are the real reasons why things go south in a, in a relationship with a family member. And most importantly, we're going to talk about the cure because thank God there is a cure. And uh, these relationships can be healed. So we, I've asked you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and we're going to read two verses here. Ephesians 4, verse 31 and 32. And here we go. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The, the verse thirty-one uh, describes the conditions uh, that exist when a relationship is broken, and none of these words are pleasant to hear. But when a relationship isn't functioning well, it's not a pleasant thing. And uh, so let's just go through and allow the Lord to help us to see ourselves in this picture. First, it says that when things are not as God intends, there's bitterness. Now, I think most of you know that the New Testament uh, was originally penned in Greek. And so what you have there is an English translation, unless you're reading in another language. You're, you're looking at an English translation from the original Greek and the word, the Greek word behind the English word bitterness here in your Bible, uh, it means poisonous, poisonous. And when things are not right with your mother, father, second cousin, brother, sister, it's, it's as though you've got an, a, an IV in your arm that's slowly dripping poison. Not enough to kill you, not enough strong of a dose to take you out all the way, but enough to make life not so good. It's like a low-grade headache, you know? It's just kind of always there, and you can function just, you know, fine. But who wants just fine? I don't. 
So the Lord says here in, in Ephesians 4.31 that when things are not as he intends, there's bitterness. There's a poisonous atmosphere. He says uh, there's wrath. Now, wrath, um, the, the original word behind your, the English word wrath me, <laughs> means a violent, passionate response. It's kind of like this in a way. It's like that heavy breathing kind of thing that just comes up on you. You know, when you get that email and you recognize the email address is from that person. And you kind of... And you don't really want to open it because you know there's drama behind that. That click is going to unleash some stuff. That exists when things are not as they should be. It also says that anger is a part of the picture when our relationships are, are messed up. But the, the Greek word behind anger here uh, is not... We, we tend to think of anger more like what I just described, that, that unbidden uh, response you know, that's negative. But this word is more about a calculated uh, position, a sustained, a choice of calculated and sustained um, resistance towards that person. It's like we want to put them in a little uh, prison. And we've chosen to isolate ourselves from them. We've chosen, them to, chosen to hold them at arm's distance. To, you know, that's, that's what's being described here. It's a choice, a calculated determination of a sustained nature. Then there's clamor. I've got to get it caught up on my slides here. Clamor. How many of you ever heard the word onomatopoeia and know what that means? You get the, you get the prize today. That's referring to the type of word that sounds like what it's describing. Like the English word boom. Right? It, it's meant to sound like what it's describing. This is that kind of word in the Greek. Clam, the, the English word clamor here is translated from a Greek word that's an onomatopoeia. And what it is, it's, it's the screeching of a crow or raven. And we have a bunch of those on Mare Island where I live. And I know what they sounded. It's like, it's like, ah! Right? I, I practiced that. <laughs> And Paul the Apostle, writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, real, really nails it. He says, he says, when things are not the way they should be in a relationship, it sounds like that. You know. Right? We know what that's like. Evil speaking, he says, that's that backbiting, you know, you sidle up to your friend and you say, you know what my sister just did to me, you know, that thing, that uncaring, selfish so-and-so, right, that stuff. And then he says malice, and malice just kind of sums it up. It literally means badness. I don't know, I don't know what describes it better, when we're out of sync with the people that God has placed us in relationship with. You don't get to choose your family. And listen, as hard as you try, there's no choice that you can make that disconnects you, severs you from your family. You may think so, uh, but you can't, you can't 
sever those ties. They're God-made, God-given. And when things are, when that relationship can be described as bad, <laughs> it's not as God intends. He meant for it to be good. So let's talk a little bit about the causes. How do these things go? How does this get weirded out like it does? And I want to tell you briefly the story or remind you of the story of Joseph. Joseph was one of 12 sons. He had 11 brothers. And he was the son of a man named Jacob. Jacob was the son of a man named Isaac. Isaac was the son of a man named Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jewish people and it goes down from there. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Now, <clears throat> the first thing we find, meet, the first thing we see about Joseph when we meet him in the scriptures, he's 17 years old, and he's out tending the flocks with his brothers, and uh, he comes back with them and gives his father a bad report about how his brothers were handling their assignment. So he's tattling on them. That's the first thing we see about Joseph. The next thing we read about Joseph is that his dad favors him. Jacob favors him, makes him a, a coat, a special coat, and, and sets up this condition where his brothers are jealous of him because his father has favored him. Then Joseph has this dream, and he gets all of his brothers together, and he says, hey guys, you know, I had this dream last night, and we were all out bundling sheaves of grain, and all your sheaves bowed down to mine. <laughs> and then he has another dream and this time he invites his mom and dad too gets his brothers mom and dad he says dad you I had this dream last night and in my dream you were the sun mom you were the moon brothers you were the stars and you know what you were all bowing down to me <laughs> you know it's like get a clue but I mean and then his, he, his brothers go out to tend the flocks and uh, because of his being the, the, his father's favorite, he, was, he wasn't sent out on that assignment. But after a while, Jacob sent him out to check on the progress of his brothers. And when they see him coming, because of their deep jealousy that has turned to a hatred towards him, they make a plan to kill him. That plan uh, becomes softened a little when they encounter, uh, or when a Bedouin... Um, uh, caravan comes through and they decide to sell him into slavery instead. That way they don't have to be murderers and they'll just pretend that you know some wild animal killed their brother and they'll tell their dad that story. So that's what happens. Joseph ends up in slavery in Egypt. Um, but he experiences there in Egypt a series of, of difficult things where he's um, falsely accused, he's imprisoned, he is treated poorly uh, by someone who should have helped him to get out of, uh, of prison. A lot of things you know, didn't go very well, and they weren't Joseph's fault. But the Lord was with him. And in the end, uh, this um, amazing thing happens where Joseph becomes the second in command in all of Egypt. Egypt was the most powerful nation on earth. And as a result of that position, he was able to prepare the, the uh, nation of Egypt for uh, a severe drought of seven years in length that came so that the people of Egypt had food to eat. And um, Joseph's family, that they don't even know he's alive. They live in Canaan, far away from Egypt, but they're suffering from the same drought. 
And they're so desperate, they, they, the brothers travel to Egypt to see if they can buy food. Anyway, it's, it's too long a story to go much further with it, but that's how they end up reuniting. And at the end of this message, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that, that, uh, that reunion. But the reason I've told you what I have is because I want for us to understand from this story some of the real causes for why relationships get messed up among family members. And I want to say, first of, all, first of all, it's not the words or actions of that person. As much as you want to blame it on what they said or didn't say or didn't do or that they forgot your birthday or they t- whatever, it's never that. It's never that. So right now, if you have... A relationship of my, in mind, somebody that you're thinking of when I'm saying these things, whatever's caused the breach, it isn't what you think it is. I can guarantee you. It generally comes from a system of dysfunction. There's a whole pool of stuff underneath. Uh, the, the specific details that you might have in mind or that thing that you're holding against them or that they're holding against you. There's a system of dysfunction down there. Just like with Joseph, his Jacob, his father, had been favored in his birth family. And now Jacob, because that's how he understands family, that's how he was modeled, now he turns around and shows favoritism to one of his sons. There's a system there, a system of unhealth and dysfunction in their family line that gets played out in a very dramatic and horrible way in Joseph's family. Part of the reason that Joseph's relationship with his brothers got all haywire was because of this system of dysfunction that's there that, look, resides in your family too. Not, not, not be de- the, the details may be different, but we all come from some measure of dysfunction in our families, and that is under there. And to ignore that is foolish if we want for the Lord to make things better, which we do. The second thing I want you to notice from Joseph's story is that part of what caused this rift between Joseph and his brothers was his own self-righteousness. When he came home and tattled on them, when he was 17 years old to his dad, he set up a situation was where he was portraying himself or putting himself forward as better than those guys. Self-righteousness is down under that, that problem you have with your third cousin. It's down there somewhere. Somebody's self-righteousness. Jealousy. Clearly, that was part of what was eating away and eroding the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. And it's almost always present in some form in our relationships that go bad, too. It may not be jealousy towards that person, but something that they experience or them towards you or whatever. It's, it's insidious. Foolishness. You know, Joseph, when he, when he tells this dream about the sheaves to his brothers, what does he hope to gain by that? I mean, it's just plain, get a clue. Why would you do that? You know, it's just foolishness. And can I say that sometimes the things that will cut uh, family members off from each other for their entire lives are simply somebody's foolishness. And, and, And we need to understand that and see that. 
But the second time when Joseph gets everybody together and says, sun, moon, stars, you're all bowing now. Now we're into pride. And isn't that the root of so much evil in this world? And not the least of which is how it, it disconnects us from the people God meant for us to be in relationship with. These are some of the causes of the breakdown of relationships God meant to be so much more to us. But the good news is there is a cure. There is a cure. And verse 32 tells us what it is. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and you can't be those things without the third, forgiving one another. The cure, dear one, is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Well, forgiveness is a, is a hard thing. It's not easy in any way. True forgiveness. So how do we do that? How do I, I mean, especially when nothing seems to have changed and they are still doing the things that hurt me or they haven't even asked for forgiveness. That's the big one. How can I forgive if they haven't even asked for forgiveness? He says, forgive even as God and Christ has forgiven you. He is our example. The way God in Christ has forgiven us, that's how we can do this. I'm not saying that I have the power all by my lonesome to forgive because I, I know that some of this stuff, some of you in this room have been subjected to by family members was horrific. And I don't mean to be flippant or sound as though I, I think this is a trivial matter. I know it isn't. But I also know that the God who forgave you of your sins can empower you to forgive too. And here's how he does that. He forgives us <clears throat> without condemnation. In John chapter 3, verse 17, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, what we end up doing is we want to be Judge, jury, and uh, condemnation, a, a condemner. You know, we want to we want to judge the proceedings. We want to uh, uh, issue the sentence, and then we want to set the punishment. Now, there really isn't anything wrong about judging in the sense of um, evaluating the situation honestly. To deny that there's something wrong or that something's been done. Uh, is foolish. That's not godly. But when I cross over into the con condemnation side of things, when I pass sentence in, and, and judgment in that sense, now I, I'm no longer representing God. Because he said, I didn't send my son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me, through him, might be saved. So we forgive without condemnation. We forgive regardless of repentance. Romans 8, excuse me, 5 verse 8. I'm, I quoted this earlier this morning. It says, God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before I ever even imagined that I needed a Savior, he was dying for me, forgiving me. 
And dear ones, we have to decide that the forgiveness that we offer to one another is like that. You need to stop insisting that that person come to a place of asking for forgiveness or even changing their behavior. Because as long as I hold that person in unforgiveness, I am not, do, I'm not affecting them in any way. No way at all. It hasn't, I, it, we think, we imagine that we're somehow inflicting punishment on them or balancing the scales or something. No. The only person affected by my unforgiveness, my unwillingness to forgive, is me. I'm the one who bears that pain. I'm the one with the IV of poison going into my soul. Forgiveness has to be offered before or without even the, the condition of repentance. And Jesus forgives us before God. Sometimes we, we think that, you know, we have trouble with this because we have to find some way to um, act, well, to pretend <laughs> that we've forgiven. To, to come to some, some state where we look like we have forgiven. But our forgiveness is, is before God. Uh, Hebrews 4.13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the, to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That whom there is God. It's him before whom I forgive. Really doesn't have anything to do with the person I'm forgiving. It's really, God, you forgave me. So how can I withhold forgiveness from them? I forgive them before you. Um, Jesus forgives completely. Remember Peter, he came to the Lord and he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times as though there would be some limit, you know. Jesus says, well, <laughs> Peter, I didn't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. You've heard me say this before. Peter did not whip out his calculator to figure out how many times 70 times seven is. Jesus was saying, Peter, there's no limit. Forgiveness? Here's what we do. Okay, I'll forgive you this time, but don't ever let it happen again. Right. No, no. And aren't you glad that Jesus forgives us with unlimited grace? And we get to extend that to each other. It says in Isaiah chapter 3, 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. This is talking about Jesus. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus didn't have to justify himself. He didn't have to be seen as the hero. We offer forgiveness without self-justification. If that person that I forgive never acknowledges that I was right and they were wrong. It changes nothing. Finally, the last thing I'll say about forgiving the way that Jesus does is exercising wisdom. And here's what I mean by that. I mean, just because I forgive 
someone honestly and sincerely and in a godly way doesn't mean I'm going to be their best friend from now on. Especially if they haven't changed and if things are still the same. I'm not going to expose my soul to ongoing uh, hurt. You know, years ago, I found myself feeling like I was in that place where I, you know, the IV in the arm and life just was not great. And I couldn't figure out why. You know, that dull, low-grade headache thing, the way I was describing it before. And I just came to the Lord and I said, Lord, what is with this? What, what is it that's troubling me this way? And I heard the Lord say, you know, because when the Lord speaks to you, um, it's usually not with an audible voice. He speaks to you in a way you will understand. He's, a lot of times it sounds like you. And so we disregard it. We don't, we don't think it's valid. But God speaks to you in a way that you would understand. So he would speak to me not the same way that he would speak to you, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And in answer to the question, Lord, what's going on with me? I heard the Lord say, you know. And I did. I said, well, okay, okay, yeah, I guess I, I do. Um, I had a family member that I was out of sync with, out of sorts with, and I said, okay, well, what do I do about it? You know. <laughs> and yes, I did. I needed to forgive. So my third question was, okay, well, how do I go about that? You know. <laughs> You know. And so I began a, a process because sometimes forgiveness is not just some kind of quick, okay, I forgive, I'm done. No, no, often it's like layers have to come off. And it took a while. It took, and when I say a while, it, it was a period of several sessions with me and God. And that's all it was about. It was about between me and God, right? But it took several sessions between me and God over a period of a couple of months at least. But eventually I scraped down to the bottom. <laughs> you, know how you, you know how you know when you're at the bottom? It's when that <clears throat> isn't there anymore. You know when you see them or you hear their name or you get the phone call and that thing inside of you goes... <clears throat> when that isn't there anymore, you're at the bottom. And that's where the Lord wants to take us. But you don't get there except by forgiveness. But when I got to the bottom... And that whole thing was gone and cleaned out of my soul. I moved 400 miles away from that person. Because I was exercising wisdom. I didn't want to get back into that kind of thing. Now, I still stayed in relationship with him. And the amazing thing was that from that day forward, our relationship began to improve. Every day since then, it's gotten better and better and better. Why? I didn't do anything different except honor God and... and um, his will and his righteousness. And, and when you do that, it unleashes God to do things. It unleashed him to start working on that person too. You know, the story of Joseph ends like this. His brothers have come requesting food and, and there's a whole series of things that, that go on. But eventually, he reveals himself to his brothers. Hey, I'm Joseph. But he doesn't do it in a spiteful way, in a very loving and gracious way, with many tears. And there's, it's an amazing story. 
The whole family of Jacob moves to Egypt so that Joseph can make sure they're cared for during the season of, of drought. Eventually, Jacob dies. And all of his brothers, they, they get together and they think, well, you know, Joseph's just keeping us alive. He's been kind to us because uh, uh, Jacob, uh, of our father. But now that Jacob's gone, now that dad's gone, uh, our days are probably numbered. And so... Uh, they come to Joseph begging for mercy. And Joseph says, you don't get it. He says, I know that what you did, you did for evil. You did what you did for evil. But he said, God turned it to good. We have an amazing God. An amazing God. So the cure is, it is forgiveness, but it's also believing that God is greater. Oops, I went too far. Sorry about that. Does that mean I have five more minutes? <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> believing that God is greater. He's bigger than the wrong that was done. Yes. He's bigger than your unforgiveness. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. It does not say there that God is the author of every bad thing that's happened to you. Please don't misunderstand that. But it does mean that his amazing power and grace is able to take even the darkest of situations and bend them to his will for you so that he can bless you and so that he can bring about his purposes in your life. He's that powerful. When you know that, you can stare down whatever evil has been perpetrated against you and find the release in your own soul that unleashes healing in your family. This is recording number 11095 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 16, 2014. This is the fifth message in a series titled, Unleashing the Power of Family. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Toxic Relations. How to Handle Challenging Family Relationships. <laughs> 